Be seated. Thank you. You're welcome, Jim. Good morning. Uh, Stephen's going to give me a little bit of microphone uh, for this croaky voice that I got this morning. The good news, it doesn't hurt, okay? I'm not in any pain, so that's, that's good. But my, I think I, I talked too much to those teenagers last night. And, uh, and uh, now, some of, some of, I know there's at least one person in this room that knows what kimchi is. Is that right? <laughs> so we gave, gave the teenagers a little exposure to kimchi last night. And uh, by the way, I left a jar of that for you, so in case you're missing it so badly. Um, but it is a pleasure to be here this morning and see a lot of familiar faces. Always good to be back in Turbeville. And it's been a few years since we've been able to be here, and especially since we changed our venue. And you guys know all about that. I'm going to review that a little bit with you um, this morning. But as we begin... I'm going to tell you the kind of the biggest news right off the bat, right? So you don't have to think of, remember that. And that is, first of all, I need to make sure my, uh, my device is uh, catching my signal. My signal may not be. Oh, what's going on here? Uh, y'all, y'all excuse me just a minute here. Why I'm not, uh, maybe I'm, maybe my, my, Devices sleeping here. Not doing it. Okay. You know, the way computers work. There we go. They do exactly what you tell them to do. Did you know that? It says you think you tell them to do things, then they don't, but you didn't really tell them to do it. So they're pretty obedient creatures. But here's the great news with the Cox family. My son, right in the middle there, got married last Saturday. Not yesterday, but a week ago. We are very thankful for that. He's our oldest son. His name's David. And he, he married this beautiful, godly lady named Kim. And isn't it great that I, one of my daughter, my other daughter there, uh, 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 married this, my son Stephen. She's Korean. And they met in boarding school back in Kenya, you know, at Rift Valley Academy. And isn't it great that now I have another daughter, and her name is Kim. She's not, she's not Korea. So if you know anything about Koreans, that Kim is a very common name. Um, so, yeah, David um, uh, uh, got married last Saturday, and we're so thankful for that. That's been our big news. But some of you know that about three years ago, uh, uh, Stephen and Kun, he got married. That's, this was at her their Korean wedding over in, back in, uh, over in Korea. They actually had several of them, but I think the Koreans considered this one the official one uh, when they were in Korea. And uh, so most of you, I think, have been apprised at, at this time. Uh, you know, several years ago, we made a big jump from Ethiopia and Africa over to South Korea. And I want to tell you a little bit about that, kind of a, the thing we say is training Asians for the mission field. Um, you remember we lived 23 years uh, in Africa, most of that in Ethiopia. And um, our boys grew up there. It was our privilege to work with Ethiopian evangelists and particularly in the southwest corner of Ethiopia, reaching people, uh, unreached people groups um, in the southwest corner for Christ. And, and what a privilege to look back and to see today, see 
churches growing and you know, people, uh, churches thriving in that part of Ethiopia. Uh, there was a few years where I taught in, the, in a local Bible school, and I, I, uh, I, Roxanne and I are both fluent in the Amharic language, and um, that was a that was a great privilege too to be involved in the in the in the uh, training of Ethiopian church leaders and pastors, and and that's where I first began to really understand um, when Jesus talked about go and make disciples. He talked about making disciples. I began to really understand that and the idea of multiplication, okay? And I had some good mentors in Ethiopia, and they reminded me that that uh, the long-lasting fruit was going to be much greater as I multiplied myself rather than what I did my, uh, just individually because um, uh, it's possible in Ethiopia to preach to large crowds of people. 10,000, even 20,000 people. But, and, that's a, and that feels good and it's nice. But in the long term, uh, an older missionary that mentored me said, Jimmy, that's great. And that's a, that's a place for teaching the multitudes. Jesus also taught the multitudes. But he said, there's no place for the replication of your, there's no replacement for the replication of yourself. So when I was in Bible school, I really learned that. I really came to understand that principle. Roxanne was doing it, been doing that multiplication in another venue. After a few years, she became the Ethiopian language and orientation school director. She taught the Amharic language to new missionaries, not just from SIM, but all the, most of the missions that worked in Ethiopia at that time. Little did she know that later all this was going to come in handy for her in terms of uh, language uh, teaching. And then, of course, you know, you guys know that after 18 years, uh, we left Ethiopia and spent four years in South Sudan when the Civil War ended. And I think, I think you remember that. And that a very, very, very challenging time, um, what we saw there. But one of the great things we brought out of that time was the realization that, you know, how God loves cultural diversity, even among his, even among his, uh, his. His, his, his workers, even among his laborers. And the truth of the matter is, in today's world, that missionaries are coming from everywhere in the world, to everywhere in the world. So when you see this picture, I want you to know that Roxanne's not the only missionary in that picture. All of them are missionaries. They all worked in southern Sudan on our team. Sometimes we look at a picture and we'll think, well, there's Roxanne, and she's the missionary. But in this picture, all of them uh, were serving with us in our team. Had a very great uh, multicultural team there. And our boys finished up high school. We praised the Lord. Everybody knows about how your children, you're relieved when they get high school and then college. And they finished up at Rift Valley Academy. Stephen met his wife there. We didn't know she was going to be our wife at that time. And then they went off to school. And our boys who grew up in, in Ethiopia and Kenya going to high school, Somehow they ended up being going to opposite schools. Now, how that happened, I don't know exactly. But that's what did happen. And I have to vouch, although I kind of I'm really lean toward the Carolina side myself, um, I have to vouch and say that my son Stephen got a great education at Clemson, even though I doubted that before him, but it really happened. And, uh, but anyway, but they're good nature rivals, and we, we have a good time in our household with that. So then we have this shift. 
And how did that happen and why did it happen? And um, I want to explain that to you this morning because it was a great shift in terms of uh, uh, a new continent and new, new language, new everything. New food was a particular one. Uh, we love Ethiopian food and we were quite adept at uh, using our hands to eat Ethiopian food in Jedaboa and to go and to start with chopsticks. And listen, let me tell you, I grew up in Charleston. I eat seafood, y'all know that. And I even eat raw seafood, some of it. But I was not prepared for what they eat in Korea, okay? That was a, that was a totally new thing. Um, so they, they, they take the word seafood to a new level over there, okay? Uh, for me, anyway. So it was learning what to eat, how to eat it, and sometimes even what not to eat. We had never lived in a place that was, had such a strong Buddhist worldview that, that impacted the culture. That was new for us because Ethiopia didn't have that, and neither did South Sudan. So it's not just the religion itself, but it impacts all of society. And um, they say about one-third of the country are, are, are serious Buddhist practitioners in, in, in Korea. And so that was a new thing for us. One of the other new things that we experienced was seasons, because we never had seasons in Ethiopia. You know, we had rainy season and dry season. But Korea, I want you to know, has some of the most beautiful colors all year round. Fall is one of the particular ones. And, um, and, and, but, of course, with fall comes winter, and we get hard, pretty good uh, hard winters in Korea. We were checking the trucks in, checked the temperature just this week. And... Um, we thought it was getting cold here, but it was seven degrees where we were where we're at in Seoul. So that gives you a different perspective. But of course, uh, springtime comes, and again, the, the beautiful cherry blossoms, the azaleas everywhere. It's it's a beautiful place to be. We've ver we've experienced a couple of settings in Korea. Korea is a very densely populated country, and we we spent. A couple of a part of our time in Korea has been spent in the very uh, in, the, in the high rises of um, metropolitan Seoul. But about two years ago, we transferred out to the countryside. So that's what the other picture is because we relocated to a place um, that I'm going to show you, and it, it's been a good change because now we get we look at we get to see beautiful rice fields. And we get to see the beautiful Korean countryside that is not just high rises, but right on the Han River, which flows right through Seoul. Um, one of the things we had to do, though, was downs downsize. Now, we downsized when we went to Korea, right? Because we got into about 240 square feet. But then when we moved out to the countryside, we got down to about 150 square feet. So... Um, guess what? You don't have room to collect anything over there, but it's okay. We're doing great. It's great marriage enrichment um, for Roxanne and I. And uh, if you see this, I'll, I don't know if you'll be able to see, but I'm pointing this little arrow. That's me right there in our in our in our apartment there, one room apartment, and I'm in the kitchen there, a great that great kitchen. And now since we've been home for a few months. We're a little bit lost in the house in Charleston. Roxanne's talking, and I'll think I'll say, All right, I have to go back there. Are you talking to me? 
because we're not in Korea now. You can't just talk and I hear you. So, um, But uh, we live in such a beautiful place. That's the, even though we have a small place where we live in, the, the outsides are so beautiful. We, we walk along this river to our school where we teach. And the reason we moved from Seoul out about an hour outside was to go to this school. It sits on a mountainside right there on, this, on the Han River. And it's called the Asian Center for Theological Studies and Mission. And it's, a, uh, it's an inter a very interesting thing in Korea. It's, a, it's an international and interdenominational school. Korea, because of its Confucian background, Korea believes in, Korea has a value where uh, you belong to certain segments of society. So the idea of denominations is very appealing in Korea. You, if you're a Christian, you belong to a certain kind of uh, Christianity and a denomination. And that runs very strong in Korea. And there are many good seminaries all over Korea, but most of them are connected with a denomination. This one is very unusual because it is interdenominational. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a not a really a Korean concept, but it's a wonderful place, about 1,600 students and a little over, <laughs> I think maybe about 200 students in the graduate school. And so um, we, are, we got the privilege of locating our missionary training and English language learning program at this school. And so it, it, there's a lot of advantages, which I'm going to explain to you. Uh, we, we ended up at this school because of our office there in Korea, the SIM office, because we're, they, are want, they are trying to, they're, we're, they were arranging for us to maximize the opportunity to train future missionaries. So what's a great, what's a better place to train or to even recruit future missionaries than a Bible school, right? And uh, so um, I've been involved with the, our staff there uh, representing SIM in different venues. They have a, uh, some of you are familiar with the Urbana Conference. This is the Korean version of Urbana. And uh, every two years I've been at the last two of them in 2012 and 2014 called Mission Korea. Korea is right now probably in the top. It, it says there are more missionaries per capita in terms of churches, it may not, that, that's pretty close. It may not, it, that sometimes fluctuates, but the truth of the matter is they are sending out a lot of missionaries per church, per churches, okay? And in North America, we're not sending out that many. And so there's a missionary movement in Korea is what I'm trying to tell you. And so we've been, we were invited to come there because to help to help foster and to strengthen the missionary, not so much the missionary movement, but the training of the missionaries. So you might say, well, if they've got all these seminaries, why you need, why they need you? Well, believe it or not, <clears throat> the missionary movement in Korea is not that old in terms of the, 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 the sum total of experience. So they're learning, they've been learning as they go. And like all people, like all of us, when we start something new, they've made a few mistakes along the way. And one of those mistakes is a mistake that, that Western missions made a lot back in a few 
years ago, and that was a lack of understanding of cultural, communi intercultural communication and, and learning how to adapt the gospel message to the culture, not change it, not reduce it. There's a big word for that called contextualization. And, and Korea was been, has been slow to catch on, but not as slow as Western missions were. We, our art mission history was a lot slower, but Korea has understood something early on. And so they've been asking for help. And I'll tell you why. It's, it's been an issue. Because Korea is probably one of the most homogeneous ethnic groups in the world. It is a solid community of people in Korea. And to deviate, to anything that's not Korean does not fit. Okay, and so anything that stands out in any way is frowned upon. Now it's not a it's not a um, it's not a dictatorship, but it's a social pressure that's there to conform. Okay, because in their mint in their way of looking at the world, the group is more important than the individual. So for a person to do something to stand out on his own, that's usually frowned upon, okay? And so as, as when you get hundreds and over a thousand years of that mentality, guess what? You become, in a sense, isolated. Now, there's a lot of technology in Korea, and they are very technological. You probably have Korean products in your home. If you've got a Samsung product, or the LG product in your home. You've got Korea in your home. But in Korea, it's all made for Koreans. It's not made for people like you and me. And so you don't fit. And we, we've, we've understood that. Now, that's, that helps a country grow. It helps a country advance, that unity. But when people leave that country, it can be a stumbling block for them. Because guess what? Everybody in the world doesn't do things the Korean way. But, you know, human nature being what it is, right? We all think our way is the best, right? And Koreans are no different. And so Koreans began to notice that some of their, a lot of their missionaries were get, having trouble staying in mission work. They would go and stay a term and they would come home and sometimes they would, they would stay back in Korea or the places where they went. They really never connected with the people. They would find Koreans, and then they would start a church, and it would be all Korean people, but it wasn't really reaching the people of that country. And so that's where they, they said, we need, we need some, we're going to have to admit it. Finally, we're gonna need, we need some foreigners here to help us. So that's where we come into the picture, that cross-cultural teaching, a second point there. Now, part of that cross-cultural teaching, as it turns out, is learning English. Okay, now you think, well, it is such a technological society. There's such an educated society, more advanced degrees, more PhDs per capita than any other country in the world. You think, what's the problem? Problem is, if you, if you, if you learn to read and write English proficiently, that does not necessarily mean that you know how to speak English. And so Roxanne and I were basically shocked when we got there at the level 
or the lack of proficiency in spoken English. Now, you think, well, what does that matter? They're going to go to another country. They're going to learn a local language there. Why they need, why they, why they need to learn English? Well, as one of our students who spent two years in Bangladesh came back and told us, he said, if I had not gotten some proficiency in English, it, I would, it would have been very hard for me to learn Bangla. He learned to speak Bangla. He said English was my bridge to learn Bangla because I couldn't find any Bangladeshi person that knew Korean to teach me Bangla. To teach me Bangla. But I could find it, a person who knew English to teach me Bangla. So English became my bridge. And so he's, he's been a strong advocate for us and, and encouraging our students. Because we encourage them all that you're going to learn another language. It just so happens that in world history right now, in the stage we are in the world, that English is a world language. Okay, Technology, science, education, so many things. It's, it's, it's a default language. And we need to be aware of that. So that's, that's, that's just the way it is in history. And that's our, one of our obligations as people who can speak English is if you, especially for people uh, looking for ministry opportunities, teaching English can be a great opportunity. So not only is there the need for cross-cultural teaching, not only is that, is that especially that need including English. So basically our program is like this. We create an English-speaking environment. It's almost like a big bubble. When they come through the door, there's no, everything's in English. And, and they have about half a day of English conversation. And then they have about a half a day of missions type um, tracks. I teach one at, uh, like missions in the book of Acts, but it's all in English. But our focus is not is less on the content. The focus is more on good content, but we focus on the conversational abilities. We're trying to draw them out of their shell. You can't, if, you, if you've ever learned to speak another language, anybody who's in here who's ever done that, you know that you can't learn to speak another language without making mistakes, right? But that's a problem if you're Korean to make a mistake. Because that's culturally, that's, you know, it's kind of like, it's, like, it's kind of like the time Roxanne's cousin, when we got married, Roxanne's little cousin played the violin at our reception, and it wasn't that good. And I said to Roxanne later, nobody should play the violin in public until they're good at it, okay? But he couldn't, he needed practice, right? Language learning is the same way. And as children, we do it automatically. But in Korea, as adults, it's very difficult for them to find environments. There's no place to speak English. There's no, so we create that environment. And it's a, it's a, it is an amazing experience to watch people begin to blossom and to get encouraged um, with, with their ability to speak English and, what they, and, and, and following the exercises. But there's a fourth thing, and that is, they have a passion. It's like I used to say in Ethiopia when I, was, when I worked with the, the church leaders that we worked with in Ethiopia. And we would, 
be we would be focusing on new areas, and we would ask the church for evangelists. And inevitably, in, in Ethiopia, the, the church would want to give me and assign to work with me one of their best Bible school students, one of their smartest guys, right? He gets the best grades. But I learned early on that that the guy who was really smart, the guy who did really good in Bible school, he didn't always have a passion and a heart for reaching lost people, okay? He was smart. He was basically a good guy, but he was better off in the ministry of a local church, right? So I would say to the church leaders, don't worry about the, the, the guy who's the best student. Please give me the guy who has the heart to reach the lost people. Because I can put the information into him. I can't put the heart into him. Right? And, it's, and that's where we're at with our students. We can put the information. We can help them learn English. We can't put the passion for the lost in there. And we're so thankful for these students that are willing to go into this 1040 window. And a lot of you know about this 1040 window. You're not new at this, at, at this idea. But in this 1040 window, two-thirds of the world's population lives in this 1040 window. And, and most of the, the majority of the remaining unreached people groups in the world live in this 1040 window. Okay? And so you can, you, you can see where Korea is. It's right on the edge of the 1040 window. It's an Asian country. And along with the Philippines, probably the only two countries in Asia that have any kind of serious major Christian influence. And so uh, that we, it's a privilege to be able to work now with these folks that go into the Central Asia, the Middle East, of course, India, and over into North Africa. We feel very privileged to have a part in preparing these, these men and women from Korea to do that. Just to remind you that there are still over 7,000 people groups in the world that are considered unreached or least reached. And they vary. These groups vary from, you know, could be 5,000 people or less. Could be a million people and more. These, these are language groups, cultural groups. They're not, and they're, they're located in the, the countries of the world, but as the Bible talks about them, they are nations of the world. They are people groups. One of the blessings of being at this school I was telling you about, and with this, the international seminary that is there, we have about 70 students from Asian countries that are, are finding, have found it difficult to find any graduate school level type training in their country. And so on our campus, in the graduate school, we've got this melting pot. This is totally unique in Korea. You can go all over Korea and you will not find this anywhere, this variety. So guess what? What a great place to start training students to get exposure to people to go somewhere else, right? And so uh, like these guys in the picture with Roxanne and I, we got Cambodia, we got Bangladesh, and we got Laos in one picture. Okay, it's amazing. These, these, these five countries are the countries in the world that have the most unreached people groups. Guess what? We've got students from every one of these countries in the graduate school. And they're not in our course particularly, but we get to work with them quite a bit. 
they because they become so excited when they meet Koreans who express an interest in their country, right? And so we get this uh, opportunity to to leverage the graduate school students uh, and um, mix our Korean students now with these these folks from these other countries. Um, I can't stress enough the monocultural nature of Korea and helping Koreans, our students, break out of that mentality. And to get to know these students, for these students to get to know these graduate students, the first time, the first time they've ever met people or gotten to know people who are not Korean. And so um, uh, it just, I guess living in Ethiopia, it, it, I guess it boggled our mind a little bit when our students tell us, I've never had a non-Korean friend. I don't know what that, what's that, what that's about. And here we are with an opportunity to help facilitate that and become friends ourselves with, with these folks. And what a pleasure to, to, to follow them, the communications uh, with them throughout the world. Um, what we do is really disciple people. That's what, in a, in a, in a, biblical, in a biblical word, that's what we do. We disciple them in a specific course of, of living, and that is trying to live in a, in a culture that is not their own. But it's a pleasure to disciple these students. Some of them, some of them come from some very large churches. Okay, um, this is my daughter-in-law's church in Pusan. It's only seventy thousand members in that church. Okay, and you think <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. Um, and so sometimes we have students that their their church is theologically sound, but they've never they've never been disciples. They've never had a, a close relationship with anybody that they, they consider as a mentor or a person to lead them. So um, they love that. Our the church that we get, that we that we are involved with outside of our our official title is called Global Mission Church. About forty thousand people, and uh, there's an English service in that church that we really get involved with. About out of that forty thousand, is about four hundred that are actually in the English part, and we get it. We're, ple we're a pleasure to get involved in that and in cell groups in that local church. And again, that's opening the door for discipleship, and that's, of course that's what we we love to do. What's very interesting is in this bottom picture here. Some of these guys in this picture, these are some, well, these, this guy in the red, this guy in the blue, these actually are two American guys that went to Korea to teach English to make money, okay, to pay off their school debts, right? They were so desperate to find somebody to speak English with because they couldn't, you know, they're teaching English, but there's nobody other to speak. They were so desperate to, to speak English, they came to this English service, Right? And guess what happened? They found some English speakers, but they also found Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The Lord brought them here, and they got saved in Korea, and I had a chance to begin discipling those guys. The guy, one guy from Cameroon, and a Korean young man that grew up in the United States. So there's, there's opportunity all over, not, not only in our official program, but outside. You know, the Lord brings you people. And then there's the joys what, what great joys we have, seeing things happen. Like, there I am, doing a marriage 
ceremony. Never didn't think about that when I went to Korea. But the couple in the left-hand side, a young, the Korean couple, living in Toronto, Canada now, working with uh, a Muslim people group in Toronto, Canada. For that's their goal to to make relationships and inroads into that a particular Muslim group in the city of Toronto. So to see them doing that, you see what I, you get my idea about the multiplication now, right? See, uh, and then what what God can do with that. And we're and so we're still learning. Korea is a very complicated place culturally, and we're still learning. The wonderful thing is, as we learn, we get to set the example to our students how to learn another culture. So we get to model it, so to speak. And uh, we, we're, we're making a few mistakes, but the students watch us, and then we, get, we, we talk to them about Korean culture. And so uh, one of my favorite things to teach is the worldviews class. So I make them wear these different colored sunglasses because... Uh, you know, kind of, they, 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 we, we talk about a worldview being like a pair of lenses that you view the world through, right? So I make them wear these uh, different colored sunglasses for a little bit, and kind of looks funny for a normal classroom, but it gets the point across, right? But for them to realize that this, this, how people in the world think that it is not Korean, this is, this, this is truly astounding for these people. Of course, we talk a lot about unreached people groups, and then part of their part of their coursework is they do research on un unreached people groups, and they they uh, we we try to give examples of culturally appropriate ways to share the gospel in different contexts around the world. Roxanne and I've had a lot of experiences, so we we can use examples from our own lives. Um, you know what 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 works well in the United States may not be the way. It's good to, may not be the best way to share in Ethiopia and things like that. So, but we try to make it fun as well. This is a hard, this is a hard one. The, the pronunciation class, Roxanne spends time because there's sounds in Korean. There's sounds in English that they don't have in Korean. And they'll, a Korean will tell you straight out, a Korean can't make that sound. And we don't know, yes, a Korean can make that sound. You know, but they'll tell you right up at first, no, R and L, for example. So Roxanne has a lot of fun with her name. But uh, so Roxanne does a lot of that, and we really, she didn't realize when she was working on that degree at CIU, y'all remember that about four or five years ago when she was finishing that degree up. She didn't realize at that time how she was going to use all of that, you know, because um, we didn't that time, we weren't sure where we were going to be going. And so... <laughs> Our students learn how to give their testimonies. They learn how to lead devotions, all in English now. This is quite a step for a lot of these. And, and some do better than others. Of course, we have some that are, that are end up being more proficient. Roxanne, you know, developed these pictures from one of her courses there at CIU. And she, we, we teach them about storying, how you, tell them, how you tell Bible stories, using the pictures. You can go everywhere with this. And you, you, you can tell the redemption story. It's a little bit going chronologically through the word of God and how we, we get up, how we find out about Christ and all that. This is one of the most popular things that our students learn because it's something very tangible and a tool they, they take with them. And so it's not only 20-year-olds 
Now, the majority of them are mid-20s, late-20s. But we'll have, we'll have retired folks. We'll have the, And so we're privileged to get a variety of ages through there. The lady in the light blue sweater is 70 years old. She was a grandma. She said, I've prayed for missionaries. I've given and supported missionaries. My children are grown. My grandchildren are grown. She found our course online. She signed up. She took our course. She's working in Thailand. She's living in Thailand now. And she's working in an orphanage there. So what a great privilege to find, to see people at a later stage in their life saying, hey, I, I can still do something here. But um, we get missionaries who've been on the, we get, we get missionaries who've been on the, been one term or two in a field of service and are discouraged because they, they feel like, they, they feel like failures. They, they, they don't understand why they've had these problems. So we get to walk through a lot of that with them. And a lot of it's cultural, the, 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 the lack of understanding of the cultural diversity that's in the world. Um, a good many of our students go to what they call restricted access countries. And um, they don't always go as missionaries. They, they, they go, they're teachers and they're business people. A friend of mine, uh, he, he's a retired Korean businessman, but he's a young, a young retired. He started a, 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 a leather tanning factory in Bangladesh. You think, what? Because there's a certain time of year when the Muslims kill all these animals, and there's these skins everywhere. And so he figured out a way to take advantage of all these animal skins. There's about a, a month, a month, and he, you got to, so it's all about the timing. But he's done that. He's, cre he's created, and, and they're created jobs, and he's discipling people who work in that factory. So it's a very interesting uh, dynamic going on there. In so many ways, Asian people, Koreans, are, are less threatening when they move into other countries in Asia. You and I, if you and I go to Kyrgyzstan as Caucasian white people, we, 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 we can go there. You can probably go there, but you probably get a few raised eyebrows and it's a lot of suspicion. It's amazing how Koreans move throughout the Asian world. And uh, it, not that they don't ever have any problems or difficulties, but uh, we are so glad that these, these, these folks are willing to say, hey, this, this spreading the gospel, this, this making disciples of all nations, this is, this is our responsibility. It's not just, not just the white people. And so we get the privilege of commissioning them, helping them find missions. Some of them work with SIM. Some of them work with YWAM. Some of them work. They, they may, they're spread out all over with missions everywhere. And we're so thrilled about that. And so we'll close just as a reminder that, you know, that we're reminded that, that Jesus, his blood bought, he's bought, purchased men from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And that's one of the things we, we, we keep in the forefront of our students about the people who have not yet had the, the opportunity, the access to the gospel. And... Um, so whether our, every student we have doesn't end up leaving Korea, but the majority of them do. But even if they don't leave Korea, their way of looking at the world 
has been impacted and changed, and they become, hopefully they become catalysts of change in their own, in their own church. And so we get, we get the privilege of most of the time having a self-selected group of people come into our program. We very rarely have a problem with motivation because the people who are there want to be there. Now, they get some discouragements along the way about wanting to quit because when they start having to speak English for eight hours a day, it's like, you know, the first week they're all laying down and they got, they're all sick and they got headaches and they got everything, every problem. And I say, guess what? If you want, if you think, if you think this is hard, wait till you go to, I say, because at the end of the day today at 4.30, you walk out of this classroom, you're back in Korea. But guess what? If you go to Kyrgyzstan, you don't get to walk out the door and go back to Korea. You're there all the time. So I said, this is a little taste of it for you. So this is a great opportunity uh, for us. And Roxanne are, are thrilled that at this stage in our lives, we get this opportunity to multiply ourselves. And we thank, of course, you. This church has been such a faithful partner with us through the years. So this is this is your this is your partnership too. It's not just Jimmy and Ross Ham, but it's what you have done through us and how you're impacting the far reaches of the world through these Korean students. So take courage in that and keep faithful at it. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the, the years that we have been privileged to partner together in the gospel. And we've seen you do such wonderful things and such great, amazing things through us. And so, as, as, as you have blessed this partnership, and today in particular, I want to pray for the about 150 students that over the last three and a half years that have gone out of our program there in Korea. I pray for those students today. Um, a lot of them working in some, some difficult places or some places in the world that uh, are just maybe uh, sharing the gospel is not as easy as it is in some other places. It's not always, it, it's, it's, a lot of times it's hard anywhere. But Heavenly Father, wherever those students are today, I pray they'll be faithful to follow you, to serve you, and to reach out and to and to to share that good news to and to disciple the people that you you bring to them. We thank you for the opportunity to be used by you in this part of your kingdom, in this part of how you um, are building your kingdom in this world. So we ask you to to take uh, our lives and use them, and continue to use them. Our, our praying, our giving, and our going, Lord, for your glory. Uh, we commit uh, this uh, rest of our day today, our services, and thanks to you, Lord. This missions conference, that every person, whatever age, would be reminded and, and desire of their, of their role in being obedient to you and, and making disciples of all nations, and that every person here would understand, would, would, again, latch hold of that and be refreshed in that cause. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your blessings. We want to share those blessings with the whole world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.
Good morning, all. Are you here to worship the Lord? Yes. Then you're in for a treat. Because when we come and lay our lives open before the Lord, He never disappoints. And uh, we are well into Mission Conference 2016. And uh, if you have not been able to participate to this point, you have missed some real blessings. But we're glad you're here this morning because we've got some blessings left for you. And we, will, we believe the Lord will give those to you. And as far as announcements go, read the bulletin. All right. There is lunch following this service, and there's lunch next week, which will be in the bulletin next week for the youth. All right. So, lunch for the next couple of Sundays is covered. All you got to do is bring your appetite. Uh, Dr. Blank has a quick announcement, and then we'll have some scripture and prayer, and, and then we'll get to doing what we said we came to do, and that's worship the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Walls. Uh, just several things. First of all, today, one of our dear people of the church is celebrating a wonderful birthday. So we wish uh, Miss Juliet Osborne a very happy birthday. I won't tell you how old she is, but it's somewhere between 60 years of age and 100, nearer the 60 than the 100, okay? But if you want to tell your age, you can tell them yourself at that point. I'm not gonna go there. Several things I need to share with you, update. First of all, uh, the helicopters will be riding this afternoon. Uh, we have two earlier cancellations because of sickness. And if anyone would like to get there a little earlier in a flight, you let me know at the uh, lunchtime. There, is, there are openings as early as uh, 1.14 this morning. Uh, also, I want to bring your attention back to the board here. It's turned a little bit further to the uh, other wall, that you, but that's okay. I think most of you can see it. Our Committee of Missions has set the goal coming up this year for $70,000, and that is for world missions. That's not home ministries. That's not local, th that's, that's for world missions ministry. And so we're asking you to be much in prayer about it. And today we'll have our first call at the close of the service for you who feel you're ready to make your commitment, faith promise commitment to bring it to the altar here. Or you can place it in the offering plate either way. But if you note again, it's not new to all of you now. Most of you have been here long enough to be aware of this. This is where you don't just decide, well, uh, I'll take part of my tithe or I'll, uh, I'll figure out how like, maybe gives a couple dollars. You're trusting the Lord to enable you to give per month that which you prayed about. It may seem like at this point, I don't even have it. That's where faith involved at that point. So we want you to fill these out, if you will. To sign them is optional. However, if you sign them, it doesn't mean a thing as far as our identifying or anything like that. But it's in case something comes up along the way where we need to contact you about a person you may have designated to give to. The other thing I want to mention to you, if you gave in your faith promise to a particular missionary a designated amount per month, that's zeroed out now. If you want to renew that personal commitment to a certain missionary, you need to be sure to fill this out and let us know. Otherwise, that will be dropped from the program. So be much in prayer about the faith promise. We'll be collecting for the next several weeks, and we trust that you will be trusting the Lord. And if you notice, the goal for participants is not 100 adults this year. The participants is A-L-L. -L. What's that spell? All. All. No 25 young people. We want A-L-L -L is what? All. all. So we want you all to be involved in it this year, if you will. Thank you for you who have been participating. Some that did not make a commitment also became involved. We praise the Lord for that. Because of that, our last year goal was 66,000. We're already over 69,000. And we have two more Sundays in this month to give to it. So you give your faith promise even when we run over the goal. 
as you promise to do so, and God will bless you for it. Remember, missions is near to the heart of God. You cannot outgive God in the area of missions. Also in your bulletin is an insert of all the missionaries and missionary agents that your money is supporting. Look over that and realize what God is doing through you because of one thing, your faith in trusting him and your faithfulness in giving. God will bless you for what you do and locally will be blessed because of it. Thank you, Pastor. Until the whole world knows. And what they need to know is a name. And not just any name, but a particular name. And we're told in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke these words. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus. And Jesus, we are here to worship this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we, we gather in your place. We gather together with our brothers and sisters to exalt you. Lord, your name, your presence in our lives has, has transformed us and made us new and, and put us on mission with you. So, Lord, what we have found, Lord, we pray that today that you would fan into flame that, that gift of love that you have given to us and that, that you would also, Lord, help us to better fully understand that we are on mission with you to proclaim your name to all peoples. Lord, may this moment, may we glorify, may we praise, may we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Joining together, singing twice through our theme course, Till the Whole World Knows. Again, remember, until the whole world knows, sharing salvation through Christ alone. Please stand as we worship the Lord in song. you church and you may be seated at this time one of our own missionaries who's with us for the conference and his wife Jimmy and Roxanne Cox will come and share with the General Assembly for a few minutes I believe is it Roxanne this time oh Jimmy's following her oh he's your technical person okay tech man oh good morning for those of you who are in, in Sunday school to meet our family, we want to introduce, we have two boys who grew up in Africa and they're both married as of one week ago, David got married. So we've got Stephen, who is our younger one, married to a Korean gal, teenagers. They fell in love in high school, 14 years old. And now they've been married for about three years, so you never know. And then David got married last Saturday to beautiful Kim. They live in Charleston, and Stephen and Connie live in Alpharetta, Georgia. So we're really thankful to God for what he's done in our family. You know, we lived in Africa for 23 years. So as I said, our kids grew up there. And we had so many interesting 
challenging and joyful experiences there that God is using now as we're in Korea preparing Korean missionaries because they're going to face a lot of the same things that we have faced. So we get to share with them our experiences and encourage them and say, we made it, God will help you just like he helped us. Uh, you've been supporting us for about 30 years here in Turbyville, so we're pretty thrilled about that. And about four years ago, um, we shifted continents from Africa to Korea because our mission, SIM, in Korea was saying, we really need some experienced missionaries who had a lot of cross-cultural experience to come help our Korean missionaries. You see, Korea is sending out more missionaries per capita than any other nation, more than the US and Canada combined. But Korea's very homogenous, and so they've got only one culture there. They've never interacted with people of another culture. So imagine how challenging that is then to go to another country and share about Jesus in a different culture and a different language. So we've gone over there to help train missionaries. Koreans and other Asians that we have in our program are able to go to places that we can't go very easily, people. They can go and be really effective in other countries, especially in the 1040 window. If you don't know what that is, you've got to Google it. But places that have the most unreached people groups in the world, Asians can go in there much more easily than we can and be really effective. So we have a program on the campus of ACTS, Asian Center for Theological Studies and Missions, and it's a missionary training program in English to help them upgrade English because it's the language of the world and to learn about cross-cultural um, mission work. So what is really neat about our campus, it's really unique in South Korea, y'all, because we're like a little United Nations. We have international students on our campus from over 40 different countries, 40 different um, nationalities, and they're there studying in seminary or maybe undergrad. And so what is cool is that our Korean students get to interact with people of other cultures right on our campus and in our course. It's gonna be really helpful for them before they go overseas. So not all of our students are Korean. Some are from other Asian countries, Cambodia, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and, and so on. But they get to have their first cross-cultural experience in our course on our campus. So we teach cross-cultural communication and Bible, English, missions. I teach English pronunciation, and, and uh, we teach about how to adapt to other cultures. My Sunday school kids this morning learned how to greet in Korea. You don't high five, you don't hug, you don't shake hands. It's different in different cultures. So we have to try and help our Korean uh, and other Asian students prepare to go to a different culture and not just be stunned in culture shock. We teach about unreached people groups. There are over 7,000 unreached people groups in the world who do not have a stable gospel witness. There may be no church at all in their region. They may not know one single Christian. In fact, I read recently that about 83% of the world's Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists will never even meet a Christian in their whole life unless something changes, unless a missionary can go and share Jesus. So we teach, how are you going to share about Jesus in a different culture? Because what works in Turbyville may not work in Kyrgyzstan or China or other places. 
We really love being missionaries. We love seeing another generation of um, missionaries go out. We are so grateful for your partnership. I really hope you get that you are partners with us. You're part of this. You're going to meet these people in heaven. We send out a um, little e-blurb, e-updates, um, about twice a month. I didn't bring the sign-up book here, but it's in the fellowship hall. I know you're going to come eat some good lunch. So if you'll look at our booth, our SIM booth there, and Korea booth, and, and sign up for our e-updates, we'd love to share what's going on in Korea and around the world. We've always got a picture of some sort and a little maybe some cultural information to try and keep it interesting. I am going to show a two-minute video now. Uh, that we use in our program to tell people about what our program is at ACTS. Just imagine you are an Asian person living in, in Korea or Hong Kong or somewhere and you're looking for a training program that's going to take you the next step to get overseas. And you're Googling about missionary training programs and you come across ACTS and our ACTS SIM course this is what you're going to see. Don't panic. It's not all in Korean. My, my son and Korean daughter-in-law made this for us, and, and uh, she did the Korean, but he's speaking in English. So don't panic. You don't have to know Korean. This will give you a two-minute synopsis of what we do. The AXSIM course is on the AX campus for five weeks in winter and summer for 12 weeks in spring and fall. It's taught by native English speakers. The AXIM course is more than just English. The teachers are real missionaries with many years of experience on the mission field. They serve with SIM, an international mission that ministers in over 70 countries. In this course, you learn about missions and missionary life. You learn about other cultures and worldviews. You learn about being a true disciple of Jesus and how to make disciples as Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. You will make friends and enjoy learning together through English games and other activities. All of the classes are in English. After spending six hours each day using English, you will be amazed at how much more confident you become in English. If you join the AXIM course, you'll discover it's more than just English. something really important. If you think you might want to do something with missions like teaching English overseas, 
the best training that I got for specifically what I'm doing with teaching English <coughs> as a second language, I got at CIU, right in Columbia. They have the most amazing <coughs> TESOL course there, specifically for people who want to go overseas to use it for kingdom purposes. So I really want to plug <coughs> that course at, at CIU and, and appreciate the excellent training that they gave me. Thank you guys again for being here and for sharing with us. Let's, uh, let's pray again. Lord, we, uh, we're excited about what you're doing, not only in our church, but in our community, and, and certainly, Lord, in our world. But, Lord, there's some things going on in our world that truly do need to break our hearts. Lord, when we hear that there are 7,000 people groups that have never heard your name, Lord, too often it's just easy to let those things slide right past us without really dwelling upon what that means and the depth of what that means. And today, Lord, I pray that won't happen. I pray that through your spirit that you would awaken us to, to Lord, our need, each, each, everybody that calls upon you and calls you Savior and Lord, Lord, our responsibility in trying to reach out and to take your gospel to every person that draws breath today. For, Lord, we know that it's... It is your heart's desire that all would come to know you. And we thank you so much for those that, that you've called out in a special way. And those that have said yes for, for Jimmy and Roxanne Cox and for Paula and Ray Yoder and many others, Lord, that, that are associated with, with taking the gospel out. Lord, they face unique and different challenges. But what we do know is that you're up to each and every challenge that's ever out there that they'll ever face. And we know that your grace is always more than sufficient, and we pray that your grace not only surrounds their lives, their families, but also their ministries. That, Lord, that your grace would provide them with the vision and the direction in which they need to travel, that they will be most effective in your kingdom, because your kingdom is not a matter of talk, but it is a matter of power. So may your Holy Spirit empower them, we pray. And we thank you for the institutions around that, that truly give of themselves to training up individuals to go. Lord, what a blessing it is that many of those in our own country, but also around the world. Lord, may again your calling go forth and may your people respond by saying, here am I, send me. And Lord, for this day, we, we pray for our speaker, Dr. McWilliams. We pray that, that Lord, for this moment that you've anointed him that you've directed him not only to the, the words of your scripture that, that he's to share with us, but that you would then fill him, Lord, with the words that we need to hear, words that will, will comfort and will challenge us to go further than we've ever gone before. So, Lord, we know that you so loved us that you sent your son. And we can never say thank you enough. But may, may your love fill our lives, and may we try to say thank you by taking that love out and sharing it with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who here among us 
has not been broken. Who here among us is without guilt or pain? So oft abandoned by our transgressions, if such a thing as grace exists, then grace was made for lives like this. There are no strangers, there are no outcasts, there are no orphans of God. So many fallen, but hallelujah, there are no orphans of God. <clears throat> Come ye unwanted and find affection. Come all ye weary, come and lay down your head. Come ye unworthy, you are my brother. If such a thing as grace exists, then grace was made for lives like this. There are no
Heavenly Father, we are grateful and thankful for all you have blessed us with, and we ask now that as we give this portion back, that you would take it and use it for your honor, for your glory, and for the furtherance of your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let me ask before we sing the next number, are there any in the audience, by the way, the FPP forms are in your uh, bulletin. Is there anyone in the audience that needs a faith promise card before we go further in the service? Raise your hand if you need one. I'm assuming then that everybody has one. So all you need to do now is pray, fill out, and be ready to give, okay? Let's join together in singing number 296. Number 296, we have a story to tell to the nation. In singing the first and last stanzas only, we will invite our children to the children's uh, worship service for the remaining service with their workers. Listen carefully. Today, we will dismiss only those who are five years and younger. Six years and older will stay in the sanctuary for the remaining service. During the singing, those children then with their worship center people can go to the service in their service. Let's stand together. 296, one and four, we have a story to tell to the nation. That is what missions is all about.
Judy may be seated. Before introducing our speaker of the morning, I do want to mention that uh, Paula, uh, Ray and Paula Yoder are with us, our missionaries who will be going to Mozambique in just two weeks. Uh, Grubbs cannot be here because of the climate weather that was in the area where they live. And God just provides in a wonderful way. The Yoders were planning to just visit anyway, and they're filling in, doing this co conference in the place of the Grubbs at this time. We'll have Grubbs another time. Do not miss this evening service, please, for two reasons. You'll miss the final speech from our keynote speaker. You'll also miss hearing from Ray and Paula Yoder, who, like the um, Coxes this morning, will be sharing with us tonight in the evening service before the keynote speaker. Please, please plan to be here. Let's have this place full again for another evening of the Missions Conference. It's my great delight and pleasure to present to us Dr. Uh, Kevin McWilliams uh, and the various things of his ministry. He has served in overseas missions for a number of years. He also has done pastoral work in the States. Presently, for the last while, he has been an uh, instructor. He's a professor in Bible at Columbia International University, a great man of God, most important, a man who has a love for people who need to know Jesus. Would you please welcome this time Dr. Kevin McWilliams. Brother McWilliams, God bless you as you share. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. Good morning, folks. It is wonderful, wonderful to be with you. I look forward to this opportunity. Thank you to Dr. Blank, to Pastor Walls and others, and for all the hard work that goes into a weekend like this. Uh, it's a privilege for me to be here, and it's a thrill for me to be here, because um, to be in a church that that focuses on missions, that takes missions seriously, that gives generously to missions, as I heard this morning, uh, that's just a, it's a wonderful thing. Unfortunately, that's not happening in a lot of churches out there, and so um, it's just a, it's a thrill for me to, um, to be able to be here with you and to share a little bit in this weekend. Um, my wife couldn't be with, uh, with me today. She has some other ministry opportunities today that she's involved with, but um, uh, she sends her greetings. And we have three children and six grandchildren, uh, all in, uh, in, in this part of the, the state in uh, Florence or South, in uh, Columbia area. And so we're grateful to have all six grandkids close to us right now. Um, but I'm sorry that she wasn't able to, uh, able to, be, to be with me this morning. Uh, as uh, Dr. Blank mentioned, I uh, teach at Columbia International University. I've been there. This is my 20th year of teaching, and I had the opportunity to get to know Roxanne just a little bit uh, a few years ago. I, I just put that together this morning that she was that Roxanne uh, Cox, and uh, so it's good to see you again, and I appreciate your plug uh, for the school. Uh, if you are serious about getting to know the Lord, if you're serious about uh, serving Him in any capacity, but especially in the area of missions, uh, CIU is a great place to prepare, and I'd be glad to talk to you about that and have some literature with me if you're interested in that a little bit later on. Now, as we begin today, I, uh, you obviously have done this a lot, so you've heard a lot of messages, you have a lot of mission, missions emphasis, and so there's probably nothing new that I can share with you today. But I do want to remind us of some things that I think are very, very important. Now, I am not a preacher. I am a teacher. I'm a Bible teacher. But I still have three points uh, for my message today and, and messages today. Uh, and I'd like you to get those three things or at least be reminded of those. It's, again, it's probably nothing new. But I think it's important for us to go to God's Word and be reminded of the foundation of what this is all about and, and what it is that's happening uh, when we talk about missions uh, so the first truth, uh, and probably the most important, it is without question, the most important 
See if you can spot it. Okay, I'm just going to read it, refer to a couple verses in Scripture quickly here to get us started. <clears throat> Excuse me. See if you can spot what that truth is. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You familiar with that verse? Okay. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Matthew 9, a little bit earlier in Matthew, Jesus tells his followers, including us, to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. You familiar with this one? Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out laborers into his harvest. Get it? See what's going on? We can actually go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. God makes a promise to a man by the name of Abraham. You're probably familiar with this as well. But God promises Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then we go all the way to the book of Revelation several times. But in chapter 7, we heard referred to in the 10 o'clock hour this morning, we have a promise through John in the book of Revelation, a promise from God himself that some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be there to worship the Lamb someday. Now, what ties all of those together? You get it? It's very important. The most important thing that I will say, the most important thing you can get a hold of when it comes to missions, missions is what God does. Missions is what God does. It is not primarily about us. We tend to think of missions as what we do and what we do for God. And, and even we're in the process of doing it. And I was involved in some overseas ministry for a while. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of, of if I could just come up with the right strategy, we could re reach these people for Jesus. If I could just do this, if I, could just, if I would just pray enough, then, then God, mm, that's the wrong perspective. That's the wrong perspective. That is not a biblical perspective. Missions is what God does. Let me give you some examples of that from one of my favorite books in the New Testament, the book of Acts. Um, I love this book, and one of the reasons I do is because many times the students who are in the class I have not spent a lot of time in Acts. Sometimes we're afraid of Acts. Sometimes we're just not sure what to do with the book of Acts. But there are the three, the three important truths that I'm going to be mentioning are all found very clearly in this book. And the more I read, the more I study this book, the more I see them, and the more I am gripped by them, and the more it changes my perspective on my involvement in missions. So let's jump in. If you have a Bible or want to grab the Bible in front of you, I would really like for you to follow along if you're able to do that. Um, but the first uh, passage I want to look at in, in Acts uh, is uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Very familiar passage in Acts. Now, by the way, and you might find this, if you don't, I think you know the answer to this question, uh, and I do need you to help me a little bit with some things. Uh, maybe you're not used to that, but we'll, we'll, we'll try that anyway. So Acts, we, we call this the book of Acts, but that's not really the full title of it, is it? Well, what's the full title of the book? The Acts of the Apostles. Have you ever thought about that and read the book and thought about that? The Acts of the Apostles. Now, that title is not inspired. It was added later on, The Acts of the Apostles. When you read the book of Acts, you know what you find? You find some acts of a couple of the apostles. The book of Acts is not primarily about the apostles, the Acts of the Apostles. It is primarily about God. It is about what God does. 
And it is amazing. It is glorious to see what God does in the book of Acts. In chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus makes a promise. Now, remember the earlier things that I quoted. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not. I will build my church, Jesus says. Hmm. Pray to the Lord of harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Ah, watch it here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, you're familiar with that. That's one of the versions that, uh, that we get in the New Testament of what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Can you think of an, Do you know where another version of that is? Probably the most, most well-known. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, all the peoples, and so forth. Now, what's different about this? This is the Great Commission, sort of. But listen to what Jesus says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does he not tell us to do in that passage? What does he tell us? This is a promise. Now, there's a little bit of command in here, but it's really a promise. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. He doesn't tell them to go bear witness. He says, it's going to happen. As you follow me, as the Spirit of God works in your life, you will bear witness. Now, here's what's cool. Luke, the author of this book, spends the rest of the book of Acts showing us the fulfillment of this promise. The entire book of Acts shows us exactly what God did, what God did to fulfill this promise. Ah, and it is, it is cool. All right, now, remember what Jesus says. In Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You got that? You're familiar with that. Now, that sounds like geographical expansion, doesn't it? You're going to start in Jerusalem. That's where they are when this all starts. And then Judea and Samaria is that region around Jerusalem. And then to the ends of the earth is, of course, the ends of the earth. That's everything else. And so it's moving out geographically. And when the first disciples, the Jewish disciples, the Jewish followers of Jesus first heard these words, that's probably exactly what they were thinking. They were thinking, we're going to be witnesses to the Jews in Jerusalem, to the Jews in Judea and Samaria, and to the Jews at the ends of the earth. Is that what God intended? Is that what Jesus has in mind when he gives this promise? No. no. You know it isn't. Remember the promise to Abraham? And you all the families of the earth, not just Jews, all the families of the earth, some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's what God's about. That's what Jesus is promising. But his followers don't get that at this point. Now watch what happens. Okay, chapter 2. You're familiar with uh, Acts chapter 2. This, is, of course, is Pentecost. By the way, where are they for Pentecost? They're in Jerusalem. Right, that's where the feasts happen. So they've all come to Jerusalem, Jews from all over the place, but they're all Jews. They've come from all over the place for the Feast of Pentecost. And you know what happens here. The Spirit of God comes upon them. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they speak. And then um, Luke goes on to tell us that people are there from all over the place, from every nation under heaven, he says, kind of uh, exaggerated and hyperbole on purpose. Every nation under heaven, just to say that Jews have come from everywhere. And then um, uh, notice, uh, well, you know what happens, but uh, down in verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice. So Jesus says, you're going to receive power. You will be witnesses. Here, here it is. The Spirit of God comes. Peter stands up. Who stands up? Peter. Now, what do you know about Peter? What was Peter doing just a few weeks earlier at the trial of Jesus? Remember that? He was confused. He was fearful. And he denied how many times? 
three times that he even knew Jesus. Oh, my. A few weeks later, what does this man do? He stands up in front of, how many people are here? You know, it's got to be thousands because 3,000 are going to get saved. It's thousands of people. He stands up and he boldly proclaims this message. And he even within that accuses some of the very ones who were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. People, he, he was afraid of all of this earlier. And now he is boldly proclaiming the message. And as I mentioned, some 3,000 get saved. Now, how does that happen? Is that Peter? Peter do this? <laughs> oh my, this is God's, Jesus just doing what he said he's going to do. He sends the Holy Spirit who fills them with power and they bear witness. Now, bear witness to whom? Who gets saved? Jews. All Jews. Some 3,000 of them, but they're all Jews. Okay, hold on to that. One other thing before we leave this, I don't want you to miss this. When Peter starts preaching, uh, we're not going to look uh, at, at, in detail at the passage, but uh, he, he quotes Joel. He quotes the prophet Joel to, to say that this is really in fulfillment of, of um, the prophecy regarding the Holy Spirit. And there's several verses there where he quotes from Joel. You probably see that in your Bibles. But down in verse 22, this is where he actually starts his message. And he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. You yourself know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. You get the message? So Peter's saying God's doing this, but he's doing it. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. Watch what he preaches. Men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. That's the message. Just hold on to that. We'll come back to that. Um, okay, so let me, let me uh, move us ahead real quickly. And there's all kinds of places we can stop along the way to see that missions is what God does, that he is the one doing this. There's the healings that take place and the other, other miraculous things that take place. The apostles clearly acknowledge this is God doing this. Uh, but then you get to chapter 8. And if you, if you flip over to chapter 8, uh, by the way, uh, I guess before we get to 8, I need to mention that in chapter 7 is when Stephen, uh, Stephen's the first, the first martyr, the first uh, brother or sister in Jesus who, who gives his life for the Lord, and, and he does. And, and at that point, remember Saul of Tarsus is there. We'll come back to him uh, this evening perhaps, but um, Saul of Tarsus is there. A persecution breaks out against the church, right? And it says that in verse 1 there, Saul proved of his execution. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. All right, now, remember Jesus promised You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. Okay, where are they scattered? Judea and Samaria. And watch what happens. Uh, let's see, development, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. By the way, there's the message again. What's the message? The Christ. The message is Jesus. Watch that. We'll come back to it. Uh, but he goes to Samaria, and he speaks the gospel message. He preaches the gospel to these people of Samaria. <laughs> that doesn't do much for us, but do you understand? that This is a Jew who's preaching to Samaritans. What do you know about that relationship? It's not so good. 
Now, they didn't get along too well. The Jews looked down their nose. The Samaritans are kind of half-breeds, and they, they have, they've compromised in terms of their religious worship and all of that, and, and they just wanted really nothing to do. In fact, John, in chapter 4, says that. He says, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. But when Jesus said, you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, he wasn't thinking about just being witnesses to Jews. Jesus was thinking about Samaritans. Because Samaritans are one of those, all the families of the earth. One of those from every tribe and tongue and people. It's one of those tongues and tribes and the, the Samaritans. So there's a problem between the Jews and the Samaritans. Well, God has a creative way to deal with it. Who does this? How, how did this happen? How did the Samaritans end up hearing the gospel? And by the way, if you read on, you find out they respond and they rejoice in the salvation that God's blessed them with. It's an amazing story. God saves Samaritans. Well, how did that happen? Well, Philip and the others got together. They had a church council. They got everybody together, and they, they strategized, and they came up with a plan. You know, we need to reach the Samaritans. We need to figure out how we're going to get the gospel to them, who's going to do it, and how we're going to do church planning, how we're going to train leaders. And Is that how it happened? No. Was Philip thinking about reaching Samaritans? Were any of the Jews thinking about it? I don't think so. How did they get out there? How did they get out of Jerusalem? Persecution. And who is responsible for that, ultimately? Yeah, a sovereign God. Move them out of Jerusalem. Okay, it's time now. It's time. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say you should have done this before now. I don't, I don't think. But it's time, he's saying. It's time the gospel needs to go to other people groups. We've got to get the gospel out there. And so he scatters them through this persecution. And they move out into Judea and Samaria. And the Samaritans hear the gospel and are saved. And, ah. and part of Jesus' promise back in chapter 1, verse 8, is being fulfilled. Can God use persecution to further his purposes around the world? Uh, you probably know a number of examples. One of the best known would be China. 1949, all the missionaries get kicked out. And the church is, is persecuted, still persecuted in one way or another or in various ways through all through the years. But what happens to the church in China? Unbelievable. Missionaries are gone. But God grows that church. And the church today in China is something like 40 to 50 times bigger, larger than it was in 1949. And it's growing every day at an unbelievable rate. <laughs> Who's doing that? God's doing it. Because missions is what God does. <clears throat> well, uh, let, me, let me move this on quickly here to um, chapter 10. In uh, Acts chapter 10, you remember Jesus promised now, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, remember, I may, maybe you probably know, may have heard of the term, the, the dispersion of the Jews, or the diaspora. So the Jews are scattered all over the place. And, uh, and that's why it says in Acts 2 that they come back for Pentecost. They're coming back from all over the place because they're scattered. They live all over the place. And so the Jews, I believe, when they heard Jesus promise the ends of the earth, they're thinking, all those Jews out there need to hear about Messiah. They need to hear about Jesus. And they do. Jesus is thinking more than that, much, much more than that. Jesus is thinking some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, which means Gentiles have to hear the gospel. Now, when you come to chapter 10, God has a problem, <laughs> if I can say it that way, because the Jews don't want to have anything to do with the Gentiles, even more than the, the Jew-Samaritan thing. This is even worse. And you know what? The Jews felt like they could support that from Scripture. This is a theological thing. They believed 
that God had called them as his chosen people, and he had, but they had turned that doctrine of election into a doctrine of favoritism. And so they believed that they really were better than everybody else. And everybody else, of course, are Gentiles, all the non-Jews, Gentiles. And they, they definitely looked down their nose at, at, the, at the Gentiles and looked to Scripture to see that God wants them separate from the Gentiles. Didn't want them to have any, don't eat what they eat. Don't eat with them. Don't have anything to do with the Gentiles. And what they had, they had taken that to the point where, where they literally wanted nothing to do with Gentiles. They didn't go into Gentile homes and so forth in many cases. Well... Jesus promised the gospel going to the ends of the earth includes Gentiles. Millions. Many, many, many Gentiles. And, and all. Uh, but <laughs> the Jews, they're not, they're not even thinking about taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And I think probably after the Samaritan thing, even then, I don't know that they were thinking about, we got to get the gospel to the Gentiles. We got to find a way to do this. <laughs> So what does God do? Chapter 10 is fascinating. Probably my favorite chapter in, in the book of Acts. And just real quickly, it starts with Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a centurion. He's a soldier uh, there in Caesarea. The scriptures tell us he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms. He prayed continually. And then watch what happens. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel. Who gave the vision? God. Where did the angel come from? God. Okay, so this is a Gentile now, and he's got this, this vision. He sees this angel, and the angel says, very simply, you need to send to Joppa and get this guy named Simon called Peter to come. He's got a message for you that you need to hear. Your prayers have been answered. Send for Simon and have him come speak to you. What's God doing? Is, God doing, is this Cornelius' idea? I mean, isn't I, as much as he's trying to follow the God of Israel and is open spiritually, obviously God's been at work in his heart. It's not his plan to go get Simon or to go get somebody, but, but God's orchestrating this. So in the meantime, we've got this. In, in fact, the way Luke tells the story in, the, in this chapter, it all happens in four days. This is absolutely amazing because working on Cornelius is one thing. That's the easy part. The tough part is what he's got to do for Peter. So Peter, it says down in verse 9 and following, the next day Peter's up on the rooftop, as they often use that as living space, and he's praying up there, and he's getting hungry, like some of us probably are already. It's lunchtime, he's getting hungry, and he sees a vision. He sees a what? A vision. He sees a vision with a sheet come down by the four corners, right? You know the story? And what's in that sheet? Some animals, and at least some of them are unclean. Now, there are a number of unclean animals for the Jews, but let's just say for, for the sake of our, 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 this thing in our head, thinking about this, that this sheet is lower when it's full of pigs. Okay, right? And, and, what, and what does God say to him? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter's hungry. And man, a, a barbecue pork sandwich would taste so good right now. Now, it wouldn't have to Peter because what does he say? There's no way I'm going to do that, Lord. I'm not going to do that because I've never done that. I've never eaten anything that's unclean. And you're just trying to test me. I think that's what Peter's thinking. Ah, oh, this is just a test. You want to see, because I know I'm hungry, and boy, that, but no, I'm not going to do that. And what does God say? Mm. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call unclean or common. Three times that happens for Peter. What's God doing? God's chipping away at some of Peter's misconceptions, his, his bad theology, his misinterpretation of Scripture, and his, his, his racism or his ethnic pride. It, he's chipping away at all of that to get him to start to think outside the box of the Jews to realize that the God of the universe loves everyone. God so loved the world that he gave his son. 
So uh, I, I like this. Uh, watch what it says, uh, verse 17, while Peter was inwardly perplexed. He doesn't know what's going on. He's trying to figure this thing out. And what happens? Cornelius has sent two servants and a soldier to uh, get Peter, like the angel told him to do, and those, pe those guys show up right at this moment. Think that's a coincidence? Who did that? Oh, man, God's doing this whole thing. So right at that moment, and at that moment when those guys show up, look at verse 19. And while Peter was still pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, who did? The Spirit of God said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go with them and so forth. Peter doesn't know what's going on, but he will be obedient. Peter's got a, Peter is ready to follow Jesus. He's going to be obedient. And so he goes down, finds out about Cornelius, that whole thing. Interesting, it says that he invited them into, his, into the house. He's not in his own house, but he's invited these Gentiles to stay with him, which is... That's a stretch for a Jew already. The next day is a travel day. On, the, on verse 24, on the following day they entered Caesarea, and Cornelius is expecting them. And he called a whole bunch of people together. And when Peter gets there, what he finds out is that God, he has seen God do this with the Jews. God is working in people's hearts and getting them ready for the gospel, making them hungry, making them want to know the truth of the gospel. Peter has seen that over and over again among the Jews, but now he sees it among Gentiles. And he's blown away. Can't believe it. God doing? Well, look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Wow. For a Jew to say that? And this is just four days later. God has been doing something supernatural in this man's life. And if he hadn't done that, folks, <laughs> we wouldn't be here today, most of us. He changes Peter's mind. He opens Peter's mind to, to a God who loves a God who loves all peoples and longs for all peoples to know him, to experience his salvation. Peter's starting to get a hold of that. He's starting to grasp that. Do we? Do we, do we understand that, that God loves all peoples? People who are not like us, people right here in this area who are not like us, Muslims, people all over the world. He loves them and he wants them to experience his salvation. God's working on Peter. And Peter has the privilege... Well, he goes on, um, watch, watch, he, um, well, let me, I just, uh, so he preaches, I'll come back to just a second. He preaches, look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, so he's sharing the gospel with Cornelius and his household, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Now, have you caught this before or not? But this is pretty cool. Peter is almost mid-sentence, you know, he's just starting to get into his message about, in fact, he tells us that in chapter 11. He tells the story again, and he says, verse 15 of chapter 11, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on me. <laughs> Peter's just getting warmed up. Does this have anything to do with Peter? Who's doing this? God's doing this. Because this is so critical for the gospel going to those 7,000 unreached people groups. This had to happen. And so Peter, he has nothing to do. He doesn't give an invitation. He doesn't get to, you know, let's sing just as I am. And you, he doesn't get to do any of that. These people believe, and right before that, the reason they do, it says right before that, Peter says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. All they were just waiting to find out, what is it I'm supposed to do? And as soon as he says they need to believe, they do. They believe in their hearts, and the Spirit of God, they're regenerated, they're saved, and the Spirit of God fills them. And it looked just like for them as it did, as it did for the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And the Jews, Peter and the others who are with him, are blown away. Whoa! says that. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. See what God's doing? Missions is what God does. It's what God is about. It's what, he is, it's what he is doing. And we get to see that here in this passage. Now, 
Let me, and you see it all the way through. I wish we had more time, but th- th- these are the, are the biggies because now Jesus' promise is being fulfilled. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, including Samaritans, and to the ends of the earth, especially including Gentiles. And the rest of the book shows how it moves out, eventually gets to Rome, and from there it heads out toward the ends of the earth. And we're still today in Acts chapter 29, the last chapter, next to, or chapter after the last chapter of Acts, uh, working at fulfilling that. But let me take you back to Peter's message real quick. What does Peter preach? Look at verse 36 of chapter 10. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Every time, you see, have you seen it? The message is always Jesus. Now, why? Why do I even mention that? Of course the message is Jesus. Ah. There are many voices today, more and more, who are saying that salvation is available apart from hearing and believing in Jesus. That maybe someone who's isolated from the gospel, they've never heard, there's no one there to share the gospel with them, that that person may be accepted by God on the basis of the genuineness or the sincerity of their faith in whatever God they believe in. They're, they're trying. They're doing the best they can. Well, God will smile on that, and he'll accept them. Hmm. Folks, I believe that that is a dangerous, dangerous, misleading lie right from the pit of hell. Missions is what God does, and here's the second truth. What God does is all about Jesus. Jesus. And it has to be Jesus. Remember, Pastor mentioned uh, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. Peter, do you ever think about the context of this verse? Oh, I understand what he says. There's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. All right, that, that's enough by itself. But have you ever thought about when this, where this shows up in Acts? Peter says this. Peter and John have just been arrested, and they appear before the Sanhedrin. You know what the Sanhedrin is? So this is the religious leaders of the day. Do these religious leaders understand Judaism? Do they understand the scriptures? Do they understand? Okay, these are the religious leaders, and Peter says to them that there is salvation in no one else. If there's anyone on the planet who has a chance of knowing God's salvation apart from believing in Jesus, it would be these people. Be the Jews. They're worshiping the same God, right? They're worship, using the same scriptures to worship that God, the Old Testament scriptures. But Peter says, no, I'm sorry. There is salvation in no one else, only in the name of Jesus. What God does is all about Jesus. We've got to hold on to that. And I appreciate the fact that that's, that's part of the, of the theme of the conference here, that uh, sharing salvation through Christ alone. Because that's the only place you're going to find salvation is in Jesus. People have got to hear about Jesus. So if there are groups out there right now who are isolated from the gospel where there's no witness, we've got to get witness to them. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus in order to respond to him. Missions is what God does, and what God does is all about Jesus. Now, there's one more point. I'm going to talk about it more this evening, but let me mention it right now real quick. Help me with this. Who preached on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 are saved. Who preached that message? Peter. Peter preached. In Acts chapter 8, Samaritans believed the gospel, and, and, and they, for the very first time, these non-Jews experienced God's salvation. Who preached to them? Philip. It was Philip. Acts chapter 10, the gospel goes to the Gentiles for the very first time, and Cornelius and his household, they're all gloriously saved. Who preached that message to them? Peter. Peter, 
Now, missions is what God does. And what God does is all about Jesus. But here's the third point. What God does, he does through people. That's how he's chosen to do it. He does it through people. Like you, like me. Now, it's not primarily about us. Because God doesn't need us. We, we could have absolutely nothing to do with missions. And unfortunately, that is true of a lot of churches out there. Absolutely no participation whatsoever. God is still going to get the job done. Because it's his, it's his work. He's doing it. It's what God does. And he, someday, some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be there, whether we participate or not. But he's chosen to use people to do it. And he's chosen to use people like you and me. One more thing very quickly before I close. The first, so Luke, who wrote Acts, wrote another book. You know what it is? Luke, very good. <laughs> the Gospel of Luke. Back in the Gospel of Luke, we have the feeding of the 5,000. You know the story, right? Your Bibles probably have, it's in chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. It probably has a little heading that says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, Matthew tells us it's, it, it, it includes women and children besides the 5,000 men. So this may be 15,000, 20,000 people. This is a lot of people. What, how much food did Jesus have to begin with? Five loaves and two fish. That's all he had. And he fed how many? Well, 5,000 at least, 15,000, 20,000 probably. But thousands of people, my Bible says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Who fed the 5,000? Jesus did. There's absolutely no way that could have happened if Jesus hadn't shown up and done something incredibly miraculous and provided for that feeding. Well, when um, Luke tells the story, he says, Jesus gave thanks, he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. How did Jesus do it? Through people. That's the way he does it. All the way through scripture. It's the way God works. He works through people. He doesn't have to. He seems to me like he could find a more efficient way to do it. But he does it he, through people like you and like me. And that's what this weekend is all about. That we have the opportunity, we'll talk more about this this evening, but we have the unbelievable opportunity to partner, to, to, to partner with the God of the universe who is doing exactly what he said he was going to do, and it's going to be done. I want to be a part of that. I, I don't want to live my life for things that God's not doing, that God's not a part of. If God, if missions is all about what God does, then I want to be a part of that. I want to, I want to be on his team, and I want to, to see that fulfilled. I want to have his heart, and I want to see those people reached, and I want to, for some of us, that means going. We've got some wonderful examples of that here this weekend. For most of us, it doesn't mean going. For most of us, it means praying. It means giving financially, the faith promise. It means supporting and encouraging in other ways. We might talk a little bit about that this evening as well. There are a lot of ways we can be involved. But the amazing thing is that the God of the universe, the God who created, the God who loves us, the God who provided salvation for us and, and wants that salvation extended to all peoples, to the ends of the earth, wants to use us to see that happen. In fact... That's how he's chosen to do it, through us. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. My, uh, my prayer for you folks is that 2016 and 2016, you obviously are, I've bought into this. You, you embrace this as a congregation, as a church. And I am, again, I'm thrilled by that. I'm encouraged by that. But may this be a year of, of going deeper, of going further in terms of, of, of participating with God and trusting God for what he wants us to give and, and pray and other things, other ways that we can be involved so that we can see God's purposes fulfilled. Uh, that's what he is doing, and we get to partner with him. Absolutely amazing. Can I pray for you? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these dear folks and for their heart for you and for their um, desire to be a part of what you're doing. 
This is what you are doing, Lord. And I'm encouraged by that because it is going to happen. I get discouraged sometimes when I see that South Korea is sending out more missionaries than we are. I'm glad for South Korea. I'm discouraged about the church in this country. But then I look at the book of Acts and I see that hey, you're going to use South Koreans to get the job done and Brazilians and others, whether we participate or not. Lord, I want to participate. I want to be a part of what you're doing to be able to celebrate on that day with some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Would you work that in all of our hearts? Help my brothers and sisters as they seek you about how they can be a part of what you're doing. We thank you for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor. Excuse me, turning together to number 379. We're going to stand together and join in seeing this. And if you have your faith promise prepared, please come and bring him to the altar. It's not to show, but we want to put him on the altar of consecration and ask God to bless your giving. We will have an opportunity tonight again to bring your faith promise as well as the next several Sundays. Take my life and let it be. As we sing, you feel free to bring yours at the altar this time, please. for the lunch and I'll have pastor ask the blessing on the meal before we leave uh, we're going to ask if you allow those folks who are going to help with the helicopter rides to go first of all I believe Ron and um, Joey and their spouses uh, Ed, Eddie Carver and um, somebody else pardon me Marion yes if you will please you get back there not Marion Dukes excuse me Larry, yes, Larry Youngblood, thank you. 
will go first so they get eating and get out to the airport at that point. After they leave Dubai, then missionaries come quickly, if you will, and then everybody else follow them back. We want everybody to come. There's plenty of food, plenty of fellowship together. Six, verse 6, for other faith promises to come while we're singing. Take my...